really appreciate you being here, and I'm, I was thr thrilled to hear Dave Doran in the first session give us from Scripture a more biblical mindset about how to think about a ministry philosophy of missions in our local churches, and I just want to drive that home in more ways and in practical ways for you through the day today, but particularly in this session as we begin to get into the biblical secret of missions hidden in plain view. Uh, we already gave a greeting and introduction. I'm so thankful that God has put the local church on my heart in such a way that I tell people I bleed local church. If you poke me, I bleed local church. I'm an ecclesiologist before a missiologist, but I appreciate what the Lord has done through us and our organization by his grace to come alongside churches to develop an effective biblical local church-centered missions ministry, equipping churches to prepare, send, and shepherd workers for strategic cross-cultural church planting. And we do this in Propempo several ways. We, we teach. We teach God's word and practical principles derived from God's word. We train church leaders in their roles and responsibilities. We counsel missionaries and particularly church issues. I see some folks in the room today that have um, been the recipient of some of that. We stimulate church leaders and their members for missions involvement. And we create individualized resources for churches to use in the way of policy, in the way of uh, measurement tools, in the way of um, helping decide what elements of philosophy are best fitting to their church. The key principles for us is the glory of God is the overarching purpose of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the exclusive solution to man's greatest need by which God gets glory among the nations. Just a little pause there. You hear about the proliferation of so many issues in missions that somehow eclipse the core. The core issue is we're about seeing men saved and churches planted. That's what we're about. And you've heard that already. You're going to hear more of it here. That is the greatest need. It doesn't do any good to dress them up and give them a better environment and rescue them from human ill, such as it is, to go to hell. Local churches are central to God's plan to glorify himself among the nations, and healthy biblical local churches are the beginning and the end of missions, the start and the finish, both the seedbed and the fruit. We have a high view of God's scripture in a local church, and I realize some of this is Maybe you think automatic, but it's not automatic everywhere, so we feel like we have to say it. Every church is unique, and we are faith-supported in Propempo as missionaries as we have been for over 40 years. So the one core thing that I want you to see today is the centrality of the local church and missions. Now, if we took a vote, it would be overwhelming, if not unanimous. Yeah, the local church is central in missions. You would all say that. And I would say, so what? Then what? What do you do with that? That's motherhood and apple pie. You learn to say that before you even knew what it meant. Hopefully when you leave, you'll know better what it means. We're going to look at three main ideas, and you have that on your handout. The slides will have more information, but biblical foundations, New Testament observations, and then practical applications. The first in biblical foundations, I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 3. I'll have the verses on the screen. You can look them up if you want. Or take notes. This is probably my famous, my favorite passage in all the scriptures relating to the church and missions. 
here's what it says. Paul is giving his personal testimony. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then skip down to the last two verses, this great benediction at the end of the passage. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to go back toward the beginning of what we see here and see that Paul says that it was his plan, God's plan, that through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. And that it was always his plan. Through the local church, I want to say, and we'll deal with this a little bit more as we walk through, but it's not just the universal church. It's certainly not the para-so-called church. It is local churches. Can I get you to follow along with me on this? What letters did Paul write? He wrote to local churches and to local church leaders. That's who he wrote to. The assumption of the New Testament is local churches. In fact, one of the applications of this is we need to shift our hermeneutic from reading in what everybody else says is universal church every time we see the term church used in the New Testament. We should think first local church unless the context mandates otherwise. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesians. It is probably a cyclical letter to be passed to other churches, but it's a letter to be passed to local churches. This wasn't published in a mission magazine. This was to local churches. The hearers or readers of Paul's letter would have understood when he says church, he means us, our church, right here, our local church, and this has been God's plan forever. It's plan A. There is no plan B. We go down to the benediction at the end. This whole passage is actually missions. If you think of chapter 3 as missions, first giving the argument that the wall, a barrier, is broken down between Jews and Gentiles, right? And then he moves into his personal testimony. He was given a specific commission. And part of that commission was, if you will, in the verses preceding, the plan, which I take it to mean the administration or operation of the local church. We get lots of hints of this in Paul's writings when he says, I was given this to give to you. Here's what I delivered to the churches. Here's what I do. He had a specific agenda of things that he teaches local churches about local church operations, and he was specifically given that to propagate through his missionary ministry he says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. How often have I read that 
and misused it. God, I'm studying for my exam in seminary. Please do abundantly far beyond anything that I studied. <laughs> nah. Or, you know, young man thinking about young woman. Lord, I really don't deserve her, but please do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that I could ever do to win her heart to me. Right? We apply it in a lot of different ways. Paul applies it in a missions way when your alignment with God's missional purposes for the local church, God gets glory in the church. I've read this so many times and I skipped over the church part. When you go straight to Jesus Christ Jesus and we say, yeah, glory to Christ Jesus, guess what? That's not the end of the story. The story is through the church, through humble people that are sitting in your chairs and pews and Sunday school classes and men's groups and ladies groups, through the the teaching ministry and the outreach ministries, it's through the humble, human, local church interaction and dynamic organism that God gets glory. So all of you, whatever leadership role you have in a church, it's a glorious role. You have something that no missionary in and of themselves and certainly not the parachurch kind of organizations have you are part of God's plan A, and you bring glory to God through the ministry of the local church, as humble as it may seem. I want to take what Dave Doran did and, and extend it just a little bit. You cannot fulfill the Great Commission without producing local churches. Now, he hinted at that pretty strongly, but I want to develop it even a little bit more in your thinking here's the passage the 11 disciples went to galilee to the mountain to which jesus had directed them and when he saw them saw when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted and jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father of the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This goes far beyond evangelism. In fact, evangelism as a term is not mentioned. It's discipleship, which part of that is evangelism for sure, but it is the spiritual growth and maturing of a believer. And how does that happen? The Great Commission says it happens through them identifying with Christ in baptism, which we should automatically think of that as an ordinance of what? The church. The local church, not the universal church. And the teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, how in the world does that happen? Unless you have a mutually committed body of believers meeting together regularly for worship and teaching and application of God's word. You cannot fulfill the Great Commission apart from planting biblical local churches and shame on us for swallowing stuff that we've been told by so many organizations and people who say i'm going to go do the great commission and they do a thousand other things than that the centrality of the local church and missions we're moving to new testament observations 
I maintain that the planting of indigenous local churches should be the intentional priority of missions ministry. Every missions ministry. The planting of indigenous local churches, I would say strengthening, particularly in the case of, here we are in TMAI and swimming in this environment, the planting and strengthening of indigenous local churches should be the intentional priority of missions ministry. Why do I make this assertion? Follow along with me, these observations, these are sort of uh, what Mark Tatlock would say, sort of the, the meta observations in the New Testament. Number one, what I already stated, you can't fulfill the Great Commission without a mutually committed body of believers. Jesus said he would build his church. He had no other program. Jesus refers to the church. Again, think hermeneutically, local church. Local church. In Matthew 18, you cannot fulfill the church discipline or church restoration passage, however you want to refer to it, without understanding a local church and who's in and who's out. You have to have local church for that. John's vision in Revelation, in the opening of Revelation, is all about specific local churches. One of the cool things about this is Jesus knew those local churches very intimately. He called names and actions and specifics about each one. Local churches are on the heart of Jesus. We should get that in the big observation view. Look. What is the first thing that he said in John after revealing himself is, I need to talk to churches, churches that are kind of at least tangentially related to John and where he was at that time in geography and history. Every time Paul uses the term church in his epistles, think local church, unless the context proves otherwise, he says, I bear the burden of the local churches. It doesn't make sense to just say, mm, sort of, everybody who's a believer for all time everywhere. The New Testament knows nothing of independent Lone Ranger Christians. Remember, I had a friend who uh, thought that he was one of those guys. And I'm like, man, I, I just do not need to spend time with you. If you're not going to become a member of one local church, even though it's not perfect, and by the way, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. Um, then I, I just don't think that you are taking the weight of the New Testament evidence properly. Paul wrote primarily to local church and the local church leaders. Peter, James, John, Hebrews all assume the local church. They assume the local church. You read it carefully, and you can't do the stuff that is commanded and warned against in these books of the Bible apart from a local church context. It just doesn't make sense. Now, you can try to apply it on an individual basis. Yes, we grow in godliness and we obey sort of on an individual level, perhaps. But the context of the local church is we have responsibility for each other to grow. We help each other to grow and admonish, rebuke, exhort. All of these books assume the local church and speak at some level to local church. Peter addresses pastors, shepherds. Hebrews talks about the members uh, Hebrews 10 and following the end of the book talks about obeying your leaders, making it easy for them. Paul's argument, Ephesians 3, that we just looked at, the 40 plus one another commands in the New Testament cannot be obeyed outside the context of the local church. You read Romans 12 and you don't see local church in big neon lights, but you can't do that stuff apart from 
a mutually committed body of believers, and the assumption is with recognized, biblically qualified le- leaders in a local church context. It just doesn't work that way. And then Paul appeals to the local church in Rome for missions initiative. Well, we'll, we'll come back to that, I think, in another workshop. But this is very important. Paul saw the focus of Christian activity in a region for a people as local churches taking responsibility for where they were. Let's talk about some practical applications. What difference does this make to your hermeneutic regarding the church? How often have you been perhaps, maybe not, but perhaps as guilty as I in reading the New Testament and assuming First off, that every time the church is mentioned, that's sort of the universal church. Instead of thinking local church. It should make a difference in the way you read your Bible, the way you read those commands in the epistles, the way you read the context of the letters and how that applies because they were given predominantly to local churches or circulated among local churches for their use as local churches it should make a difference in our hermeneutic regarding local church. What difference does it make to your people's understanding and vital participation in your church? Guys, we need to be totally unashamed of lifting up the body of Christ, his bride, whom he died for. That passage in Ephesians 5 we use in all the weddings. Paul says, yeah, it's good for weddings and marital relationships, but it's really about the church. We need to be totally unashamed and unafraid of holding up the local church and in each individual case, our local church as the place where the action is for God giving growth and maturity in your Christian life and God giving godliness and victory over sin because together we meet together, we hear God's word, we apply it together. That's what it was intended for should make a difference in the way your people understand their vital participation in your church. What difference does it make to the oversight of your church? We have a grand and glorious prospect when God, by his grace and mercy, takes us and puts us in a position of responsibility and authority and accountability within a local church. The local church is what God uses as his agent on earth. And we've been given, by his grace, some measure of responsibility under his chief shepherdship, if you will. What difference does it make to your discernment and decisions about ministries you support? The stories are without end of how many times Churches have been influenced to support a ministry, local or foreign, that does not come into doctrinal alignment with us, that does not express what we would do if we were in their place doing that ministry, that does not align with biblical principles, that does not exalt Christ and the gospel as the foremost need of man. This should speak 
to our discernment and decisions about ministry that we support. It's not because they were a friend of Aunt Sue or a niece of Uncle Bill or because they, uh, I don't know what, accepted Christ as a kid in our congregation 30 years ago and now they're coming around for money. Sorry, that's a little crass. I've seen it happen. <laughs> I've seen it happen. You guys have all the stories too. I mean, you've seen it happen and perhaps, probably, it's happened in your church where there's, there's some hook that gets somebody some kind of regular support or some ministry some kind of regular support for reasons that are less than priority in the biblical principle lineup. Got it? If you want to know more about that, you have to come to the next workshop. We're going to expand on that a little bit. What difference does it make to your discernment and decisions about the strategies, methodologies, and end goals of ministry both home and abroad? Guys, it's perfectly all right for you to, to hold up the priority of the gospel, of the word of God, and the development of local church as a grid for determining and deciding meth methodologies and strategies, both at home and abroad. It's okay to do that. It's very important, especially in, in today's missiological climate where there's all kinds of fads rolling around. And, you know, fortunately, I think we're seeing the end of the so-called contextualization sort of, I, I say that um, some people stole the term contextualization out of biblical context and pirated it to do something different. And that's what a lot of people are doing around the world. Thankfully, that fad is slowly declining because they're seeing all the results that they thought would happen not happen that way and not stick. You talk to missionaries who have been on the field a long time, you get somebody trying a flash-in-the-pan type of strategy, and they may have some limited, immediate success, but what happens to all of those so-called Christians three years later? Where in the world are they? They seem to have melted off the face of the earth. They're not there anymore. We need to have discernment and make decisions about strategies, methodology, and end goals in our ministry, both home and abroad. This, and this assumes, and I'm coming from where I live, how I teach local churches and help church, local churches, local church leadership should be involved in the methodies, methodologies and strategies of the missionaries you support on the field. You don't just leave it to them. And Dave Doran hinted at that as well in his message. You don't just say, because I feel called, Therefore, you support me, and I get to make up all the decisions about how we do that. And I'm sorry, this is pretty cliche-ish for those that know me. The New Testament Greek word for that is baloney. <laughs> Got that? I know there's a seminary close by. It's Italian Greek, maybe, but it's, it's, uh, it, that's nuts. For someone to make all kinds of ministry decisions about their direction and strategy apart from the concerns and priorities of the local church that's sending them and the local church that they ought to be, ought to have as their goal in completion of their task on the field. Mark Tatlock said I could do this. Um, this is a commercial. So this book here to there, it looks like this. There's a little uh, promo flyer on the chair over here and down at the display table near the um, auditorium. 
you can pick up. I think Grace Bookstore has it at the lowest price we've sold it anywhere. It's half price. It's $4. If you want to get it, take some back for your leadership. Take some to your missions team, missions committee. Certainly take it for whoever's a candidate. And it's kind of odd that this would be here. This was written for the Cross Conference. How many know about the Cross Conference? A few people know about it. So I want to say, oh, people that you know well decided to have a missions conference that stood out in contrast to the big one that was named in the hour before. One that is solid on reform-based doctrine, solid on a strategy end goal of seeing unreached people groups have biblical churches planted, and solid on the centrality of the local church. So I worked with them in the formation of the Cross Conference and said, you know, so you get a couple thousand young people in the room and the Lord touches some and some say, I want to be a missionary. What are they going to do the day after the conference? And they said, "Uh, we don't know. Can you write a book on it? Now, this is it. This is the book. I want to tell you, this is written to the missionary candidate, but it is full of the ecclesiology we've been talking about. Absolutely slap full of the ecclesiology we've been talking about. And it's really, the, the in between the lines is all church leader stuff. If you read this, so the first chapter tells the candidate person who says they feel that God may be calling them to missions, fine, good for you. Tell your friends, don't tell Facebook. <laughs> don't put it on social media. Number one, maybe a little proud, drawing attention to yourself that way. Number two, you have just begun the journey. You don't know if you're going to make it. Only 15% of people who say that they want to do that ever make it. And only 50% of those that make it stay. The attrition rate is something like D-Day. Really. The second chapter is, or the, the reason, one reason you don't put it on social media is because the people in those unreached people groups and closed countries, they have computers too. And we know of people, even related to this church right here, who have been turned away at immigration by an immigration officer looking them up on Google and seeing that they posted, I'm going to such and such a country to do missionary work which is not allowed, and they were not allowed to enter the country. Second chapter, go to your church leaders and get them on board. One of the things that causes church leaders to call propempo is they have a panic attack. When a young person says, I feel called to missions work. Help me do that. And the pastor goes, what do I do? So we help them. This, this book helps as well. But it's, it's all about the ecclesiology that's at the heart and center of it all. The, the missionary candidate doesn't determine their calling. The church determines their calling and verifies their calling through building up of skills and ministry depth and understanding and grasping application of Bible and theology to to life and work. So buy the book. I don't want to take any home. Find out how to get that. 
I think the Grace Bookstore has it somehow. They may have a special table set up somewhere. I don't even know. But um, it'll, it'll help you and your church leaders get a handle on how do we do this thing when the opportunity comes. Um, I love a quote from uh, a missionary mentor of mine who said, we don't need volunteers in missions. We need willing conscripts. So um, get a hold of the book. Now, I want to open up just a little bit for some Q&A. Um, I've rushed through this because our time is a little shortened. There's more depth that we could give and have given in workshops in the past, but um, we're a little, a little short logistically on time here. So let's see if you have a question about this stuff or application that we might be able to handle. Yes, sir. Speak up so that these guys over here can hear, please. Absolutely. That's a very common question. It's a good one. Thanks for launching us off. That's a good one. So there's a huge difference between the sending church and the supporting church. Okay. And that's the primary di difference. Your sending church may only be able to afford $100 a month, but they are still your sending church. So in this, um, when, when I address missionaries and missionary preparation classes and pre-field training stuff, missionaries have more bosses than you can sneeze at. It's just it's terrible, especially if they go under a mission sending agency. They've got a whole chain of, of authority over them. They've got local church. They've got supporting churches. They've got mom and dad. Who knows what all they've got going for them. And plus the government agencies. So it's, it's kind of hard to sort through that. But it's not too difficult to figure out sending church versus supporting church. If you're the home church, you help develop them. You have your stamp of approval that you verify this person really has a genuine call in their life. We want to send them out from our church. You have a whole different set of authority, structure, and responsibility over that missionary. If you're a supporting church and you're giving 50, 100 bucks a month, God bless you. I've got ways you can fix that. But um, you don't have the same level of authority unless the sending church gives it to you. I'm saying there's a little caveat there. Our church, I'm, a, I'm the missions elder at our church, which is a real blessing. I mean, I'm, I'm not master seminary trained and they still let me do this. So it's um, really good. But the, our pastor's master seminary trained. Um, we have to work with missionaries and, and our pastor says, um, it doesn't matter whether we're in your sending church or not. We wanna earn the right to be your favorite church to our missionaries because we just love up on them. And in two different cases, We've been the supporting church where we ended up negotiating with the sending church to become the sending church because they weren't doing their job for one reason or other. And, it, and there's a lot of good reasons and some bad reasons. But, and we, we took them on as being the sending church. That's very possible. The other ones you have to decide in terms of focus and strategy and come to another workshop of mine in this room next after lunch. We'll work on that bit, but there is a way you can, by natural attrition, get to a strategic focus 
where you don't have a shotgun on the map of so many little relationships. Okay? That's m more than what you bargained for, brother. So thank you. Yes, sir. Okay, how can you help uh, a missionary from uh, North America evangelize in Africa? Uh, I'm talking about non-explanation. Why I'm asking this question? 20 years ago, we received a missionary from North America. Very good man. With the knowledge, willing to come, but he failed because he didn't know how to evangelize, how to present the Bible in another culture. <coughs> if you have one or two uh, uh, advices um, that will help me uh, to understand how I can. Many people would like to come to Africa, but they are from North uh, America. Our culture is so very different from the Western. We have the Bible. Congo, Democratic Republic Congo, and I'm going to say it a little louder for these. What about North Americans coming to Africa, perhaps Central Africa, who have so many um, academic skills, but they don't really understand um, contextualization and culture, and they end up failing, the term you use, on the field, and end up going home? Um, the first indictment goes to their sending church. I'm sorry. If their sending church has not done what they could, to prepare that missionary who is an emissary representing their church for cross-cultural ministry, then part of the failure has to be owned by the church. Do not trust mission-sending agencies. I'm not anti-agency. If you know me, I'm not anti-agency. But do not trust mission-sending agencies to give them what they need to go overseas and be faithful for long, long term. Um, over and over again, we see that they, they take the, the low road of whatever the minimalist kind of um, training and responsibility to get them out to the field, and then they end up having to replace them because they, they can't stay and they don't get the job done. That's, that's first. The indictment goes back to local church leadership, have them train them better. There are good tools in North America for getting people acquainted with understanding culture, language, and contextualization in a biblical sort of way. And if they have not had experience with that, if they don't have dirty hands from working with that here in North America, they have no business going over to some place and starting over. Third answer is local resources where they go, indigenous resources. And I love the, the concept that when people learn a language, this is hard for churches to understand in North America because we're so effectiveness and bottom line, we want to see results. But that's our problem. That's not God's problem. Um, your missionaries need to spend enough time and effort and priority on learning the language and the culture that they can go beyond marketplace language before they start ministry. Got that? 
They need to get to the level that they can talk about intangible heart issues and values and understand the culture and the nuances enough that they can actually understand what people are saying, I mean, what, what they're meaning, not just what they're saying, because of their local religious environment, because of their local culture, they need to get there. What does that mean? Well, that means it's more than six months. It's more than a year, and maybe more than that. It doesn't mean that they need to be restrained from going to the field before they have that, but they need to have enough tools in their tool chest that they can develop their language learning beyond the marketplace level to get to heart Bible level in order to have effective ministry long-term and see that fruit. So using local and indigenous resources to help them, to advise them, particularly if there are Christians in that context. I work with a lot in our general North Africa project, which is now sort of overflowed into Middle East and Arabian Peninsula and Gulf region. But you know how, how hard it is to learn Arabic? Those of you that have studied Hebrew, just you know, take that another notch. Um, it just, it's tough, and you have to learn it. And nowadays, if you're going to an unreached people group, if you're going to an unengaged people group, if you're going to a closed country, it's not like it used to be where you, you go to the field, you stay in language school for a year, you extend with some additional language classes maybe for another year while you're beginning to get your feet wet doing some ministry stuff, you learn one language and done. That doesn't exist anymore. My kids are working on five languages, right? The trade language, the, um, I'm trying to say this in a, in a <laughs> generic way, uh, the, the trade language, the, the proper language of the region, the dialect, and then another dialect, and then the unreached people group dialect. So figure that out. I don't even know English that well. What, what kind of commitment does that take? Well, it takes a lot of commitment, and it takes commitment of the sending church to walk with them in that, to hold their feet to the fire and say, don't get too anxious. Don't get started too soon. You need to learn the language and the culture. You need to have friends from that language and culture that are assisting you and helping you and developing you so that you can minister faithfully the word of God. was able to um, uh, stay in the home while I was speaking in a church and share the hospitality of, of a man who had been in a, a really well-known parachurch type organization and they were instructed don't get affiliated with any church because that would limit your options and how you can pull things from different places in order to do the particular ministry that you were engaged in. That just does not line up with what we see in the New Testament. You've got to be involved with the nat a national church, not the national church generic. You need to be involved in, and, like I said, get your hands dirty with a local church, helping out, assisting in any way that you can. 
being a servant, not coming in as the leader, not coming in as someone who's a know-it-all resource person, but just serving, discipling people privately, working with the leaders, advising them, resourcing them perhaps, and it takes a long period of time for that relationship to develop. Is it okay for internationals to get together to have English fellowship? Yeah, but that's not a church. It's just not a local church, really. Um, they need to be in a local church doing the stuff and learning the stuff. What they learn there, they cannot learn anywhere else. So if they're absenting themselves from that situation, they're missing a ton of stuff that they need to know. How could you possibly plan a church if you haven't seen a good one in action or that you've been a part of one and seen all the foibles that go along with that? In fact, I would maintain it maybe is a little radical. Your missionary candidate before they go to the field should be elder qualified. They should be on the inside track in attending and observing at least elder meetings. How can you ask them to plan a church if they haven't seen one from the inside out? If they don't know the mechanics of the give and take and the graciousness and the challenges of working with a group of men in church leadership over the messy issues of life they have to deal with week in and week out as elders of a local church. You've got to have your missionary candidate involved in that before they go to the field. This is like bonus material, sorry. Uh, other questions? Yes, sir. Um, feel free to tell me it's in your books or, or talk to me later. But um, perspective on the biblical proper role of support uh, missions like farming, wells, medical, how does that look in the proper context as opposed to the way we mostly do it? Good. I do touch on this in the book. There's an appendix that deals with this actually in the book. And here's the way I see it, which maybe I'm all washed up, but I don't think so. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't tell you. Um, if the farming has as its end goal to start and strengthen biblical local churches, great. All thumbs up. They need to prove it by how they do it, right? If it's farming for the good of the people with no other goal than that, yank them home retrain them and send them back out again if they're teachable they'll do that and i would say that about anything there's a whole long list in there sports ministry uh literature ministry evangelism of all shapes and forms and kinds and and medical all of that stuff it needs to complement and have an intentional end goal of strengthening and starting local churches when they have that they can hardly go wrong if they're consistent with their methodologies and uh, how, they, how they do things. It's super to see the difference. And I've seen it on the field a hundred different times. People who go to do well drilling or agricultural this or community development, and they don't have the local church as the end goal, man, they may have some flash-in-the-pan success. It does not last. Why? Because people's lives and values have not truly been transformed. And they may be one to be rice Christians and not have the real deal. Transformation comes through a transformational community that sticks in there. I was a leadership for a, um, a big group of churches that wanted to respond to the Haiti earthquake. So many people died. It was a tragic, tragic situation. We insisted that the end goal of our relief work was strengthening and starting biblical local churches 
And that work continues fruitfully to this day. And so much of the other stuff is just, you know, you eat the food and you're done. What what you have there? Nothing. Might you even say, I almost hear between the lines that you would say, it might be best for, I'm thinking medical because that's my background, uh, that you don't plan on planting a church but supporting and strengthening a church that then plants it. Perhaps. But I, yeah, but there, unfortunately, there are a few. Usually, I, I, I counsel people who want to go into medical, don't do it. It'll eat you alive. Because you just get so overwhelmed by the medical needs that you're doing that all the time. Unless you draw the line and you set the boundaries, brother, along with your sending church. You set the boundaries and say, you know what? Sunday morning, I am not making calls. We're going to have chapel in this clinic. And we're going to preach the gospel. And we're going to preach the word expositorily. And we're going to, we're going to see this developed, and we're going to we're going to bring people in and train them in such a way. I'm going to I'm going to uh, delegate such responsibility for my daily medical duties in such a way that I can influence the churches that are nearest us, and that they can be a part of this thing. They can own it. So if I've ever removed off the scene, the ministry continues. So I'm sorry, I'm getting you wound my key, guys. Uh, it's time. I see the. Uh, it, we're, we're a little bit hair over time on what we were supposed to be for this session. I would encourage you, come to the next two sessions. If this wasn't practical enough, we're going to get even more practical.